Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to chapter 9, verse 8. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by waves. But he was asleep. And when they went to wake him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marvelled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and seas obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gerardines, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. Going into the city, they told everything, especially what happened, had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Last week we were thinking, uh, why is it that people come to Jesus? And a key factor in that question has to be who they think Jesus is. So let me ask you this question today as we look through these scriptures. Who is your Jesus? Or maybe I can put it this way. How big is your Jesus? Where does the line stop with who you think Jesus is? Because if the line stops somewhere in your mind as to who or how big you think Jesus is, then so too the line must stop as to what you think Jesus can do for you and why, therefore, you might come to him. The scripture today comes at this question, and kind of the other way around, I guess. It first shows us what Jesus can do, so to make us think very carefully and very deeply as to how big and and who Jesus must be. At the end of last week's passage, if you recall, in, in verse 18 in that paragraph there, Jesus was getting ready to go across the other side of the lake. And uh, today we pick up that trail again in verse 23. 
When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marvelled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? That's our question right there from the disciples. Who is this Jesus? Because how could any person command the powers of nature? And just by his word at that, and not uh, via some request to God the Father, but by his own direct command, what sort of man can do such a thing? The scriptures have otherwise made clear that it is the Lord God who has charge of the winds and the waves. He is the one who creates the storm. He is the one who causes it to cease. Was it not God who commanded the wind and the waves in the days of Noah in Genesis 8? Was it not Yahweh who commanded the wind and the waves at the Red Sea in Exodus 14? Was it not Yahweh God who created and then calmed the storm on the sea when his prophet was trying to escape in Jonah chapter 1? Psalm 89 makes this basic truth explicit. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And I'm sorry, but humanity just does not have command over the forces of nature. We might be able to study those forces of nature, adapt to them, work with them, work around them, manage them and harness their power even and curtail them to some extent. And we might even reason that in all of that stuff that we can do, we, we can somewhat control the forces of nature. But can we command them? No. Jesus stands up in that boat and just utterly and instantly commands the very forces of nature. He rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. Who and how big is your Jesus? Does he have command over the forces of nature, such that the wind and the waves and everything else obeys him? Do you follow a Jesus who controls that world all around you in such literal terms? Would you ask God to protect you in a thunderstorm, say, and keep you safe in Jesus' name? Calming this physical storm of wind and waves swamping into this boat, though, seems to have impacted these disciples. That They're starting to process just who Jesus is, no doubt about that. But Jesus is actually on his way to another kind of storm 
over on that other side of the lake. A storm that's of even greater significance because he's on his way to speak that same authority into a spiritual storm. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? By demon-possessed, we might understand this to mean demons-possessed, because there are multiple demons involved here. In the account of this given by Mark and Luke, Jesus asked the demons' names, and they said, We are called legion, for we are many. It's not the two men who cry out here to Jesus. It's the demons crying out through these two men that they've possessed. That's what it is to be possessed by demons. They're under their control, these men. In word and deed, they are held hostage to serve the demons' interests. And we notice as those demons call out, they know who and how big Jesus is. O Son of God, they call him. Whatever they mean by that, it includes this understanding that Jesus has some kind of ultimate command over them. And that there's a time set aside for later, it would seem, when they're going to be called to account and when Jesus will oversee their torment. Have you come here before that time to torment us now? They are very distressed to know. And since he has that ultimate command over them at the end of all things, so too they know full well that he has command over them even now. And so they fall to pleading with Jesus. A herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. These demons are many, as we see. If you cast us out, they say, send us into that herd of pigs. And enough pigs are possessed by demons that the whole herd is stirred up into a frenzy, all by one simple word. Go. Go, says Jesus. So they came out and they went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Legion as they may well be, Jesus has command over the forces of evil, and just with his word, go. Is your Jesus that big? Does he have complete command over the forces of evil? Do you follow a Jesus who's got authority not just over the physical world but over the spiritual world? Do you know that Jesus can protect you and keep you safe from evil and from evil spirits? As if to bring his authority over the physical and the, and the spiritual realms together in one, the final part of today's scripture has Jesus calming an eternal storm in the paralytic as we push into chapter 9. Getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. 
what a curious thing to say, don't you think? To, to someone seemingly brought to him for a healing of, of a physical kind. Your sins are forgiven. As if Jesus knows what the man's friends want, and maybe what he wants too, this man. But, but Jesus knows even more what this man needs. He's setting up to teach the people something about that side of things too. And some of the scribes watching on give Jesus the cue that he's looking for, verse 3. They said to themselves, this man is blaspheming, which would be true if Jesus did not have the authority of God to forgive sins. Looking at that Psalm 103 this week and last week, we skipped over this bit in that psalm uh, we looked at. Uh, Psalm 103 verse 2, Bless the Lord, Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Yahweh. The Lord God is the one who forgives our sin. And so these scribes are on point. If Jesus is just some ordinary guy from their own town here. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. What Jesus is claiming here is that he does have authority even to forgive sins, which is an authority that the scriptures again clearly declare to be of God. That's the very point of the physical miracle Jesus does here and the reason that he sets all this up. Anyone could say that someone's sins are forgiven, but how could we know? What tangible proof could we look to to know that anything has transpired or happened with that person's sin? There is no tangible evidence for that, is there? Because that's between the person and God. And so anyone could say such a thing, couldn't they? But so that we might know that, yes, he has the authority over that kind of thing, the redemptive condition of this man's soul, Jesus goes ahead and does the thing that is harder to say because for this impossible thing, there can be some physical proof one way or the other as to the question of Jesus' authority. Either the guy gets up or he doesn't. And of course, nobody can just speak healing into a paralytic except for the fact that we know from the journey so far through Matthew's Gospel that Jesus can speak healing into anything, in anyone, from anywhere. And so he does. Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. 
These people gathered around Jesus are very right to be afraid, as verse 8 says. And not just because of the power in Jesus' word over the physical condition of this man, but because of his claim, too, to have power in his word over that man's spiritual condition. No doubt they would be full of fear mixed with wonder. How can it be that either kind of authority that belongs to God could be held by a man. And we too must wrestle with this. Either we haven't understood scriptures like Psalm 103, or, or Jesus carries the authority of Yahweh God, that he can forgive all our sins, heal all our diseases, lift our lives out of the pit and crown us with steadfast love and mercy, as that psalm says. And so I come back again to the question, who is your Jesus? Is he, in your reading of scripture, a blasphemer, as these people say? Is he healing people from everywhere, uh, casting demons out and commanding the winds and the waves, but hoodwinking these crowds on, on the matter of forgiving our sins? I mean, there's no visible proof of that part of what he says here, is there? He's asking us to put our trust in him on that side of things, isn't he? So, do you trust Jesus on that side of things? We might wonder if the point of all of these miracles we've been working through is actually to lead us into that deeper area of trusting him on the things that just can't be seen. The things that really matter, more than anything else they matter, and yet simply can't be seen. It's the condition of our very soul that we're talking about, where we stand with God. And this Jesus of Nazareth claims to have authority to set us right there, to forgive our sins. And so too we might recall here that this, this of course ties into Jesus' wider ministry on earth. We reflected on this last week. We flicked back to chapter 4 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Jesus begins his ministry and it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's preaching, he's calling people to repent of their sins and also claiming to be the one who can forgive us our sins. Do you trust him on these bigger but invisible things? If he's not blaspheming here and does have even this authority of God, then who exactly is this Jesus that these scriptures are presenting? And if I can ask it again more personally, who is Jesus to you? How have you understood Jesus? The Bible shows us Jesus as fully man. Let's make no mistake about that. He wasn't some kind of spiritual entity, some alien or, or superman kind of being. He was 100% flesh and blood, just like you and I and everyone else who ever has been. And so the fear and uncertainty in this crowd here is understandable. How can this authority be held by a man? But so too, as Jesus is demonstrating in all of these episodes, he is somehow also fully God. 
which is just as Matthew told us at the very start of this gospel, this Jesus of Nazareth was somehow both man and God, conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, and yet born of Mary, God with us in some unfathomable way, and yet just as the prophets had said. Jesus is now drawing us right into that unfathomable mystery in everything that he's doing in the narrative since, bringing this very tension to bear on us, this tension over his manhood and deity. If Jesus is also God as well as man, then what Jesus says to this paralytic is not blasphemy. And that is the very point of challenge that he's putting to these scribes and to everyone else in the crowd and to us too. And for which he seemingly has used this whole incident for. Jesus always wants to teach us something in his miracles, but are we listening to what he's saying? He has authority over the forces of nature. He has authority over the forces of evil. He has authority over the salvation of our souls. And if he has the power and authority just by his word to to calm every kind of storm, be it physical or or, or spiritual or eternal, then have you come to Jesus knowing that? And are are you looking somewhere else, anywhere else, for any of those things? Because the impression that we must surely be left with from these scriptures is that there is nowhere else that we need to look, only unto Jesus. He is the one. He is the one who can calm our every storm. But is there some kind of limit in in the subconscious, deep, dark background of your thinking as, as to what Jesus can do? Is there some uncrystallized little fragments of thought floating around in your mind that that have constrained how big and, and just who Jesus is? Or have you come to this Jesus in Matthew's Gospel where we're not being shown someone here lacking or limited in, in any way, shape or form, are we? Our brother James reminded us a couple of weeks ago at the very end of this Gospel of Matthew, Jesus did say... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Is there any other domain of authority beyond heaven and earth? No. Is there some way we can nuance or water down that word all? No. Jesus doesn't just suddenly spring that out of nowhere at the end of Matthew's gospel. He's showing us glimpses of it all the way through. He must overcome Satan and and death in, in a special and redemptive way for us at the cross, of course, and yet he shows his authority over those things on the way to the cross too. My take on these scriptures is that the biggest miracle in this section of text that we've worked through is what Jesus does for the paralytic and what Jesus does for the paralytic in his soul. Because sure, the world around us does and will get stormy in in the basic sense of that word, like on the lake in the first account. And the devil's agents might get their hooks into us and even have us under their control at times, like the men from the Gadarenes. And even our physical body could hold us down and useless like the paralytic. But nothing could be as important 
as the sin of our soul, which should have us cast out of God's presence and into the dark and stormy terrors for all eternity. And so nothing could speak to us like these sweet words from Jesus. Take heart, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Just as that Psalm 103 says, Jesus so gently redeems this man's life out of the pit. And he crowns him with steadfast love and mercy. He speaks forgiveness to him and he makes him his own knowing of course as he tells him your sins are forgiven that he has come to secure that forgiveness at his cross has jesus calmed your storm I mean, that most important kind of storm, the storm that would rage throughout all eternity through the sin of your soul? Did you come to Jesus to hear something other than those sweet words, your sins are forgiven? Not to say that we shouldn't also petition Jesus about all the other things in life. Of course we should. But surely we need to retain some kind of perspective on what actually matters for all eternity. Do you have and do you know you have the forgiveness of your sin? Has Jesus spoken his forgiveness to you? Do you trust that Jesus has got the authority to speak that word to you? Listen to what Jesus is putting in front of you in this scripture. Get a reading on your faith today through this text. Do you trust him, most importantly, with the things unseen? Have you heard him speak forgiveness, but in, in some deep, dark corner of your heart, doubted him in some way? Do the world and the flesh and the devil try to whip up storms around you in life to try to take your focus off that greater truth, the calming of that one storm of ultimate consequence, the forgiveness of your sins? Have you forgotten about that? Have you become fixated on the, on the tangible things of this life and, and forgotten that big thing that Jesus came to proclaim to you, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and has now been opened up for you by the power of his word in all authority to secure the forgiveness of your sin? There can be no doubt in these scriptures today that Jesus claims that power and authority, the power and authority to bring about perfect calm in every kind of storm, whether it's physical or spiritual or redemptive. If he should so choose, he has that authority. I think, though, we'd be stretching that uh, too far. And certainly if we factor in uh, the rest of Scripture, if we try to fashion some kind of gospel out of this little Scripture that says we should have none of those lesser and temporary storms in life, you know, the physical or the spiritual kind. But what the, the Scriptures do all add up to is a gospel that our big storm is dealt with. The one storm of eternal consequence is sorted and resolved if we just ask it of Jesus from a place of repentance in our heart and then just trust him 
on that. He came for this very purpose, to secure our forgiveness for all eternity. And only in that will there be peace for our souls. If we don't quite feel that forgiveness yet, right down to the very depths of our soul, then, then don't these scriptures say that, that we're limiting who Jesus is and what he can do and what he came and did? If you haven't come to Jesus for this most vital of vital requests yet, I hope this scripture will invite you to do so. And if you have come to Jesus with this most vital of vital requests, then I hope this scripture drives out any and every shadow of doubt as to where you now stand. Jesus has the forgiveness of your sins in his hand. Take heart and have faith. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father and great God, we thank you for these scriptures today that, that show us so much, just, just how limitless Jesus' power and authority are. We pray, Father, that you would search our hearts with this text and make sure that we haven't belittled Jesus in any way, that we would then dive deeper and, and more recklessly, more single-mindedly, more wholeheartedly into the arms of our Saviour Jesus. And that we would know even more than ever that in him we can have and do have the forgiveness of our sins and thereby peace for our souls. We thank you for the mystery in all of this, that your scriptures just so bluntly get on and say that the very things we would look to you for, you have now shown us, can be ours in your son, Jesus. Help us with this mystery such that we don't discredit who you are and, and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen.